0: Alrighty, well how about we go ahead and, and get started here. Today actually is uh, the feast, the festival of St. Peter and St. Paul, so just, oh, yeah. just so you know. Uh, and I'll read a little bit of that from the Treasury of Daily Prayer here. Uh, the festival of St. Peter and St. Paul is probably the oldest of the saints' observances, dating from about the middle of the 3rd century. Um, an early tradition held that these two pillars of the New Testament church were martyred on the same day in Rome during the persecution under who? Y'all know? Nero. No. Okay, okay. under Nero. That's like the first, first round of persecutions that the church faced. In addition to this joint commemoration of their deaths, both apostles are commemorated separately. Peter, on January 18th, for his confession of Jesus as the Christ and Paul on January 25th for his conversion. The New Testament tells us much about both apostles. Peter was with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry and served as a leader among the disciples. Despite his steadfast faith, Scripture also records some of his failures, such as his rebuke of Jesus and his threefold denial of his Lord. Following Jesus' ascension, Peter continued as a Leader in the church, Paul, a devout Jew, also known as Saul, uh, came on the scene as a persecutor of the church. Following his miraculous conversion, in which the risen Christ Himself appeared to him, Paul became a powerful preacher of the grace of God. During his three, um, during his three. Missionary journeys. Paul traveled throughout modern-day Turkey and Greece. The New Testament account of his life ends with Paul under house arrest in Rome, though tradition holds that he went on to Spain before returning to Rome. I was reading a little something about that today. It was kind of interesting that um, we don't have a lot about how either of them died. There's traditional accounts. Peter was known to... um, by by tradition, he was crucified but upside down. Have y'all heard that before?
1: Heard yeah, that because he uh, told him he didn't rate as high as Jesus. Either. That's right. Yeah, he had.
0: He was not. He was. He was not worthy to die in the manner of his Lord, and so they crucified him upside down. Um, which is really funny because you get all these like occultist people with like these up, with like the upside down cross, and just like oh, the, the cross of Saint Peter. <laughs> anyways, um, you know, you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> <So> anyways. <laughs> Um, and then, and, and then Saint Paul. Uh, any, anybody know how he's thought to have died? Stone. No. I thought he died in, in a prison. He, he was beheaded. Uh, most most likely beheaded because he was a Roman citizen, and that was uh, the most humane way of dying. So uh, of being executed, I guess you could say. <laughs> I was going
1: to say really.
0: <laughs> well, he could have been crucified. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, upside down or whatever. So, so yeah. So it's very, very kind of interesting how uh, I'm reading for fun uh, a book on church history, and I just read about that today a little bit. So, just the traditional accounts are very interesting. Anyways, let's begin with the word of prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mm. Um, mm. merciful and eternal God. Your holy apostles, Peter and Paul, received grace and strength to to lay down their lives for the sake of, of your Son. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit that we may confess your truth and at all times be ready to lay down our lives for him who laid down his life for us. Um, um, excuse me. Um... Even Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, mm, mm, now and forever. Amen. All right. I have so, a question before we get started. Sure. Did St. Peter and St. Paul, did they have families? Uh, St. Peter was married. Did he have children? I don't know. Paul was not married. Uh, so I don't know. Um, lost, <laughs> lost to antiquity, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, but it was it was also it's 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 interesting though. Um, reading reading that book on on church history. Um, it's it's called the story of Christianity. There's two volumes. It's really easy to read. It's not like a super scholarly work. But uh, the story of Christianity, volume one, goes from uh. Post-New Testament, or no, like, the Acts of the Apostles, basically, on through to right up before the Re- uh, before the Reformation. Volume 2 goes from Reformation to about, like, the 2000s or so. So, I mean, and, and it's just like an overview. So, uh, but in, in this one, it's very interesting how he's saying that all these churches started in, uh, you know, like, Spain there's, there's, there's a lot of churches in the ancient world that felt like they needed to have an apostolic tie, like they needed to be tied to an apostle. And in Spain, their patron saint, does anybody know what the patron saint of Spain is? St. James. But in Spanish, that's uh, Santiago. So whenever they would run into battle against the Moors, they would chant, Santiago! And... and Charge right, so but they so they had a tradition that Saint James came from Jerusalem all the way to Spain, and then went all the way back and then was killed by Herod. So it's like they came up with all these different reasons as to why apostles should uh, be there. But the the author of the book maintains that although Paul did go on a lot of journeys and so did Barnabas and Apollos and and um, different apostles would go on these uh, journeys to spread the gospel, uh, he said. Most likely it was really, Paul Paul even says he wasn't the first to proclaim the gospel in a lot of places he went. It was really proclaimed by just everyday people. They heard the word and then they took it with them and they, they first proclaimed it amongst the people that they knew. And then Paul would come and gather the people according to the true teaching and things like that. So yeah, so it's kind of interesting to hear that, that we have a faith that was passed on by a bunch of people who were lost to history, but their names are written in the book of life, right? So, I mean, that's to say that we may feel like we're not doing much, but God knows, and it makes a big impact in other people. and Could mean that they receive the faith once for all delivered to the saints. So, anyways, all right, that's not what we're talking about today. We are in Romans, uh, and we're in um, session five, God's wrath revealed in the law. So there's a lot of talk about sin, uh, and there's going to be a lot of—it um, may seem redundant, and it may seem like we're beating a dead horse, but it's, it's important to get to these things and to ask the questions that Paul asks through this, right? So does anybody want to read that first that first part there? Um, and uh, up, 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 up to the first question, how about that? We can split it up, though. Who wants to read that first part? I'll, part there. I'll go first.
2: Okay. Yeah. By the beginning of chapter two, Paul has his readers identifying themselves and as definitely more righteous than the rebellious sinners under the wrath of God in one18 to thirty two. Confident that the reader has taken this self righteous posture, Paul abruptly addresses the reader in two one, as one who is also under God's judgment. Therefore you have no excuse, O man. Everyone who judges, for in that for in that you judge the other person, you are condemning yourself, because you, the one who judges, are doing the same things. Paul's use of, oh man, makes this address very personal and yet very universal. His use of no excuse ties the legal accusation against the reader with the accusation leveled against the rebellious sinners in 120. Both groups of sinners are under God's judgment.
0: Okay. So that sets the stage for what we'll be talking about today. Uh, who wants to read that next, that next portion, teaching through diatribe?
1: Okay. Scholars have noted that Paul frequently uses the ancient rhetorical style of diatribe in Romans. Diatribe is asking a question and then providing an answer. For example, Romans 3.1. What, therefore, is the advantage of the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way, as most teachers know, questioning is a good uh, good teaching tool. Paul anticipates the questions of his readers and provides a response. This study of Romans places special emphasis on Paul's diatribe. Look for questions surrounded by quotation marks below. Carefully consider Paul's questions and write down his answers. Okay. So, as
0: the teacher, I will now ask the questions, and <laughs> we'll see we'll see what answers he got. Okay. So, carefully read. Chapter two, verse one, and list three examples of Paul's courtroom language. So, someone, someone read Romans, uh, Romans two, one, so we can hear that. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the others, the other you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Okay, so. What are three examples of Paul's courtroom language here? Y'all, y'all know what that means, right? Courtroom language. Okay. I have
1: sure. one. I said, "You who pass judgment."
0: Pass judgment for sure. Mm-hmm. Anything else? Have no excuse. An excuse? Yeah, definitely. Condemned I think that's Yourself. Yeah, condemnation, condemning mm-hmm. for sure. At what point? You judge, mm hmm. Yeah, judging, yeah, judgment, judge, condemning, uh, these things like that, right? Um, each of these examples comes from the same Greek root word, krino, or uh, I forget if it's krino or krinomai. Uh, my Greek professor crucified her for that, um, but in. Uh, Hmm. yeah i think it's chrono anyways uh so it's it's basically uh it's the word for judgment you know and 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 to to judge uh which paul uses a lot in romans okay a, yeah go
1: ahead don't the quakers use that as a big thing that you're not supposed to pass judgment on others because if you do that you're judging yourself isn't that something the Quakers are real big on? Oh, I don't know.
0: The Quakers are into a lot of things. The Quakers aren't even really Christian, so. Um, no, no, no. Are they not? No, they're not. They, um, uh-huh. they're universalists, uh, really. Um, Quakers or, or you know, what the Brethren, as they are sometimes known, I think, or something Would like that. Would that be like the Puritans? Puritans were Christians. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pur- Puritans were of a, like a Reformed Calvinist stripe from England. Um yeah, uh Pier- the Puritans were Christian they were pietistic and fairly legalistic but I mean they weren't all bad um but no the Quakers were not I mean the Quakers were ones who believed in like a divine spark that everybody has a divine spark I, I think I think that's what it was exactly. I'm not quite quite sure but the the Quakers they also believed that uh what was it? Like They believed that anybody could go and preach the gospel, that women could be pastors and things like that. And they thought that—this is where it gets really interesting—they thought that their spreading of what they believed the gospel to be would be powerful in their own language, so much so that they would need to proclaim it in another language to somebody in a different country. So what it is, the reason why I say that is because there's kind of an interesting thing where the Quakers would send missionaries over to Arabia. And the missionaries would be women going and not bothering to learn Arabic. And they would go and preach in English and basically give, give the, the men what for. And they were not treated very well. Yeah. It survived. It survived. But it, it was one of those things that they just felt like the message was strong enough; they didn't have to translate it. Very interesting. Anyways,
1: <laughs>
0: thanks for clarification. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the,
2: that, you know, just based on my image, image of the two, I was gonna make sure I wasn't getting the two confused. Yeah, for sure.
0: You know, yeah, Quakers definitely were around the same times as the Puritans in America. Okay. Um, no, but Quakers, they might use that. But a lot of people use, like, you know, they'll, we'll talk about how um, we can easily take scripture out of context, you know, judge not lest you be judged. That means, oh, we're just not supposed to judge anybody, but we'll get there, all right? Um, we'll get to some, maybe some examples about where we should pass a little bit of judgment for the sake of someone's repentance, okay? Um, so let's, let's go to that next question. How do Paul's words undermine your ability to pass judgment on other people, Well, first of all, what kind of judgment are we talking about here? Is there different kinds? Kind of
2: like your judgment, how you feel about it, and what you think the right thing should be for them.
0: Okay, it interesting. Could be anything. So, like, very subjective, maybe. Something exactly. um, we can get pretty pretty harsh with that. Hmm. Yeah, um, what what kind of judgments are there? So when somebody passes judgment, um, are we talking about, when Paul talks about this, are we talking about the kind of judgment you use when you're deciding which way to come to church? No, it's yeah. more like a legal judgment. It's more like a legal judgment. It's more like an eternal judgment, whether or not you think someone's going to heaven or hell. That's right? what I
1: was thinking, eternal judgment. That's right.
0: So what sort of, how, did, how does Paul and his words, uh, how do they undermine your ability to pass that kind of judgment on other people? Say that again. I just kind of reworded a little bit. So how do Paul's words undermine your ability to pass eternal judgment on other people? Well, it just throws it right back at you. Okay, how so? It
2: says you have no excuse. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you're going to say, man, that guy deserves that for doing that. We're all sinners. Guarantee
0: you've probably done it before in thought or or deed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, Paul points out that each of us sins. Um, Based on our own righteousness, right, the subjective things that we would like to judge people by— we have no basis for passing that kind of judgment, right? Um, we are not exempt from judgment ourselves, right? Uh, and that's really what Jesus means when he says, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, do, not, do not say that someone for sure is in heaven or hell, because that's not your role. You're so fallen, you don't even know which way is up, right? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's really what that means, that each of us sins, but that's not an excuse to just let certain things pass by uh, unattended, um, and and we'll get we'll get to some 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 things here. But I, just just so I can really drive this point home, what sort of instances must we pass judgment on? Uh, it's
1: like when somebody commits murder. Yeah, I
0: mean, we're, God tells us to listen to the
1: authorities. The authorities have the power mm-hmm. I mean do not kill that's a sin we've got governors and police officers who have the authority those people right are supposed to be punished
0: yeah okay that's a good one how about um, how about judgments we need to pass in church are there any that we must make in church We've got to get a lot in church. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, exactly.
1: we have to tolerate everybody's differences.
0: Okay, but here's, here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. Um, some people might say, judge not lest you be judged. Oh, you're not supposed to judge people. Let's say, let's say that there's, and this might hit home for some people, but let's say that there's a couple in church, and I've, I've heard of this happening, couple in church that are married, they have several kids, and they're going through a separation, right? The mom brings their kids to church, and then all of a sudden, dad walks through the door with his girlfriend. Are we supposed to just sit back and say, well, you know, I'm not supposed to judge, so we'll just let it slide? Or do you go to that man and you say, you need to get out of here. Right now, you need to stop doing what you're doing, right? You need to repent. And because you are not only, like, you think maybe that you're getting back at your ex or whatever, but you're hurting your children, right? And, and so that's one of those instances. It needs to be handled in a certain way, but there must be some kind of judgment passed by saying, you are sinning right now, and you need to repent. Because if you don't repent, you are in danger of hell. You're in danger. I'm not the one who's gonna send you there. But you will have to answer to God for this if you continue on in your unrepentance. And don't, I, I mean, seriously, you're coming to church with your girlfriend, yeah, no. you know? And you're still married. And right. you're still married? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's one of those instances where you kind of have to say, no, 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 we, we actually need to make some kind of judgment for the sake of that person's repentance and restoration and reconciliation on some level, right? That's the point. The judgment is made so that reconciliation might be met. Mm-hmm. It's not to judge so that that person would be condemned
3: forever or whatever. See what I'm saying? Yeah. That's making it personal, but it affects mm-hmm. the whole congregation. That's true. They it see it. yes. That's exactly witness, right. Witness to everyone mm-hmm. that's
1: there. That's exactly right. She's putting everybody, it's involving everybody in the congregation.
3: That's and right. And In yes. danger of accepting him and yeah. everyone else saying, well, thank right. you. He can do it.
0: I can not do. Which is why it's the pastor's responsibility to intervene in that situation and uh, address it in the appropriate way for the sake of not only that family but the entire congregation, lest others look at that and think that it's okay and excusable. Because how are people, if nobody says anything, how are people in the congregation supposed to kneel at that rail next to him and his girlfriend confessing that no sin is happening here, nothing needs to be repented of, and you're receiving the body and blood of Christ, not for this, because that's obviously not a sin. I mean, That's the confession you're making, and it's, it's dangerous ground. So that's, you're right, that's a personal thing for that family, but you're right, it affects the entire body of Christ. Uh, because when one part suffers, all parts suffer. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's how we should see it. So, I just want to throw that out there just, just so we know that um, it's not so clear cut. You can't just simply say, don't ever pass judgment. You need to be discerning. Wisdom needs to come in play at some point in time so that, uh, um, so that people would not be led astray. Right? Yeah, go ahead,
1: can we also, as Christians, point out, like if we if we see somebody that we think is doing something, you know?
0: That's clearly breaking yeah, one of the Ten Commandments, sense,
3: right? You know, yeah. Clearly like like
1: say you find out your neighbor's having an affair or something. Sure. Wouldn't it be a responsibility of a Christian to point, point that out in hopes that they would... Renounce what they're doing and ask forgiveness and
0: not do that anymore. I think it's fair. If, if you have, you, it's it's not just about having a good relationship with them, but maybe even just saying, "I care for you enough to tell you that no. what you're doing is wrong and you need and you need to stop doing it." And and because, uh, but, it's, but not it's going pointing it way. out because
1: you're doing something wrong. You right. Should stop what you're doing. Exactly. You're pointing it out, hoping that they will stop what they're doing and not sin anymore
0: hoping that they would repent yeah yeah turn away On from their behalf sin. right yeah you're speaking the truth in love mm-hmm. right yeah. they might not see it that way but yeah. that's the risky. Yeah. that's the risky take that's yeah. the risky take uh for their sake mm-hmm. but at least you said something yeah and said it in love uh and sometimes tone makes a difference but really The truth needs to be spoken no matter what, Mm -hmm. honestly. Um, Anybody else want to chime in on that? Yeah. I have something. Go ahead. Um, So say you, uh,
2: I used to tell people judgment is not always a bad word. We kind of always associate judgment with something bad. Sure. Instead of making a good judgment on something. Right. Um, Yeah. So not doing anything making that judgment, lest you be judged
0: by not doing it. Are you being that judged by sense? not doing it? Yeah.
1: By not pointing it out? Well,
0: mm-hmm. we, we we say in our uh, confession of faith, sorry, in our confession of sins on Sundays in uh, Divine Service 1, right, we say um, we have sinned and thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those things where... Uh, um, You know, like uh, with the commandments, there's not only the negative command, but there's also a positive aspect tied to the ones that are even negative, like "you shall not kill," right? Um, Or, well, no, you you it's not kill. You shall not murder, right? And that includes somebody who could do something to save somebody's life, but they don't, right? That is a breaking of. The fifth commandment. Yeah, when someone's getting assaulted, and you bust your phone out to yeah, as opposed to actually trying to help them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. You are breaking breaking the fifth commandment for sure. Uh, so, um, and the and the other side is true as well that you know let's say something seemingly benign is the eighth commandment: "You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor." And if somebody's speaking ill of somebody else, and you just sit back and don't say anything. You know, in our understanding of the explanation to that, you should uh, defend them, speak well of them, and explain everything in the kindest way. If you don't do that, yeah, you fall short. Mm -hmm. Fall short. You made a bad judgment on just doing nothing, right? So there's that side of it as well. Good stuff. Good conversation here. Anybody else want to say something about that? Yeah, well, as far as... uh judgment on people we do have the process of excommunication which i have never seen in my lifetime it usually people excommunicate themselves a lot of they just don't show up anymore that's true they just they don't i we we have a service for that in the uh in the agenda which is like what pastors have that kind of has extra services that aren't in the service book. Mm -hmm. And one of the services is that if there's been reconciliation sought for somebody that's in open and and, uh, if they are in open and unrepentant sin and they've been confronted about it and they still refuse to repent, then there is something that I could as a pastor do in front of the entire church, which is scriptural, take it to the church and say, this person is not repentant and therefore they are not... Uh, allowed to commune um, and and we pray that they would repent because of this and that's the whole point it's not just to cast somebody out but it's that you hand them over to satan Mm -hmm. in hopes that they would repent and come back come back yeah to to realize what it is that they're being deprived of Mm -hmm. and desire that uh all the more um so yeah
4: so is there like a blacklist Let's say you excommunicate someone, and then you go tell Pastor and Hosanna. Hey, don't no. meet this person in case they come over. In
0: theory, hmm. there is. Um, there's. That's there's. A, um, uh, uh, there's some issues. That. <laughs> there's some issues with that. There's some issues with that. There's issues with that. But. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What I mean by that is that. Um, Sometimes, and this, this depends on each circuit, and within the Missouri Synod, our church structure and polity can sometimes, unfortunately, and also for good reason, things are left up to the discretion of, of the pastor uh, in a lot of instances. I mean, I would never just excommunicate somebody's it's like, it's, it's like, you didn't bring me a donut, no communion for you, whatever. Uh, it, it would be open and unrepentant sin. Let's say that that guy you know, who brought his, his girlfriend to church when he's still married to his wife comes, and I say, you need to repent of this. And he goes, I'm not going to because we love each other, and there's nothing wrong with it. I'll say, well, you are in open and unrepentant sin, and I bring the elders in on it, Right? And if he still refuses to hear it, then I would bring it to the church. And if he still refuses, I'd say, you're no longer a member of this church until you repent and confess your sin and be absolved of it. And if that's the case, and we go through all the processes, and we say, we excommunicate you, I can get in touch with Pastor Bass down in, down at Hosanna. And I know Pastor Bass, and I think that he would honor that. Um, but if if that guy then moved to like Wisconsin, California, California Oregon, Washington, whatever, and didn't know anybody from Adam, um, I wouldn't really have any say on it. Um, and if he goes to another church that's not LCMS, what do they have to care what I say, right? So it's like, it's one of those things of um, we, we do that in hopes that they would repent and if they go on to another church that's within our circuit... Um, I would hopefully get wind of it somehow and be able yeah, to travels fast talk like to, that. yeah. yeah, that's, that's right. I, I would hopefully be able to um, talk to the pastor as to the process that we went through so that he would continue to abide by the discipline that's been enacted for the good of that person. Uh, so it depends. <laughs> that's the short answer. It depends. Um it's not always, It doesn't always work out perfectly because we're dealing with sinners on both sides. So, uh, but that process is there for a good reason. Um, but yeah, excommunication is not something that you see every day. And most likely that's because we live in America where they can say, well, I'm done with the LCMS. I'm just going to go over to the Methodists or the LCA or whatever. Forget about those guys. It's over. And then you just go, you know, all you can do is Pray for them if anybody sees that person. Um, I mean, encourage. Uh, do the best you can to encourage them. Although, even though scripture, well, although some, maybe maybe um, adhere to scripture when it says treat them as an unbeliever. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I think continue like, to pray to, for them though. Today,
2: someone would pretty as much like before you got to
0: that point of it. Somebody did just leave. They just leave. Like, what's yeah. the point? Yeah. There it's would be
1: not as effective
0: as it used to be. Right. That's true, <laughs> and sadly, that's the case, and that's the world we live in. Um, and there might also be the instance where somebody um, is sinning, and then they just decide, even though you tell them you you need to repent, rightfully, you it's not just something that's arbitrary. And then you, and then they simply say, "Well, I just want to transfer out." Yeah. And for that, as as a pastor, uh, if they're unrepentant and they want to transfer to another church and they don't want anything to do with me or the process that we go through or whatever, I'd simply say, I'm not going to transfer you, but I'll release you from your membership. And so that whenever you go somewhere else to a different Missouri Synod congregation, you can't say that you're a member here necessarily. You'll have to start over with them. There are ways to handle these things, but we always try and make it for the person's repentance. Uh, that's the ultimate goal, right? All right. Good discussion. And I'm glad we got to it. But we really need to get to our study. All right. Uh, so Paul becomes even more pointed in chapter 2, verse 3. Do you reckon this, O man, the one who is judging those who do such things, even while you are doing the same things, that you yourself will escape the judgment of God? Another forensic term, reckon is used here and much more in chapter 4 due to its presence in the Greek translation of Genesis 15, 6. That's, that's where Abraham believed and it was reckoned or accounted to him as righteousness, right? Paul makes it clear that we should not misuse God's grace. God's kind forbearance is meant to lead us to repentance. Those who refuse to repent will face wrath, okay? So now we're going to look at Some of these questions that Paul is trying to teach with, right? He's entering into his diatribe, and we're going to try and see what answers he wants us to come up with, right? Um, So Paul asks, "When you, a mere man, pass judgment on them that is sinners, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment?" What's the answer? No. And what's the? And we're not going to turn to these because it takes a lot of time. But what was what was the reference there for Exodus 32? Did y'all look that up? The golden calf. Yeah. So what's the history there? How how is that relevant to what Paul is asking here? Why did God punish the uh why did God punish Pharaoh and his people, the Egyptians? Why did he punish them? They had other gods. Yeah. Yeah. They worshipped false gods. Every single plague actually attacked each one of their gods in their pantheon. They worshipped the Nile. And when the Nile turned to blood and they could no longer use the Nile for anything productive, they saw that their god was false and it was really only in the full control of the one true god of Israel. And so on and so forth with the frogs and um, uh, the locusts and things like that, right? Uh, so so you'd see that played out there. Oh, and the sun, right? The sun was their god, and when it was turned to darkness, they saw that, oh, we can't rely on that. So God took out each one of their gods one by one with each plague. And they were also cruel to God's people. And that's why he sent Moses to... Uh, be the prophet that would deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh, uh, because he heard their cries. Right. So their cruelty, their idolatry, was why God punished them. But what do they do as soon as they get into the wilderness? They start worshiping uh, the golden calf. Yeah. think, Well, oh, we're God's people. We've already, yeah. we already got it. Yeah. There's. They go to Aaron, <laughs> and they and they and they can't wait for Moses to get down from the mountain. And they say, make us one of our <laughs> make us a god. Ah, oh, it's so great. They get impatient. Uh yeah, so they they so on one hand they rejoiced in the defeat of Pharaoh and his people, and then as soon as they get on their own, they do the exact same thing. Right? It'll last, it'll last long. <laughs> Immediately. Uh fun fun note, do y'all do y'all know how Moses dealt with them? You know what he made them do to that golden calf? Grind it, Grind it up and drink it. That's right. They ground, they oh. ground up the, the golden calf into powder, and then he made them all drink it. Oh, you know why? Yeah. What happens when you drink things? Oh, when you ingest things, where do they go? Right into your stomach. <laughs> where do they ultimately end up? Oh. Yeah. 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 It comes out uh-huh. on the wrong end, right? And so that's how you desecrate a god. That's why he made them do it, because it, it came out the other end, and that's what God really thinks about false gods. Yeah. Think about that. Right, yeah, yeah. So that you can go and check out the ground and be like, there's your God, bits and pieces right there, right? Your false God. That's what God wants. Want What's that? If you still want, <laughs> if you, if you still want go it, go it. sift through whatever it is that, that's there. Yeah. So, okay, yeah. Um, how about let's, let's go on to the next question. When, when St. Paul asks, do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? And uh, what's, what's the answer there? Do you show contempt for... Uh, let me see, what, what is that verse? Uh, it's chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, I like the translation, despised. You despise the riches of God. The riches of his kindness, right? I'll have um, say yes. Sometimes I, I have, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the answer is yes. And what? What is the reference there in Judges chapter two? Did y'all look that up. Judges chapter two, verses sixteen through twenty-three. Yeah, I don't remember that one. Um, it's where the people of God. It was after Joshua died, right? Joshua died, and then the, the fathers that knew Joshua and then heard Moses, uh, they all died. And then their, uh their it says, And then the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And
3: be- before that,
0: and all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, the generation of Joshua, right? And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. So then when they um, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served false gods, um, then God was provoked to anger. They abandoned him, and his anger was kindled against the people of Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. He sold them into the hand of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, he would be against them. And then he raises up judges, right? Uh, He raises up judges to save the people from the plunderers. But what do they do? What do the people do with the judges? Do they do what they tell them to do? Do they obey them? No. they. Uh, they did not listen to their judges, for they have whored after other gods and bowed down to them. So, um, when you see that over and over again, I mean, the story of Israel is a story of God's mercy and patience. Over and over. Over and over, and over, and over, again. And over again. God is patient. Uh, uh, I really like the term long suffering, right? God is long-suffering with his people. Um, And when he gives people over to their passions, like we see um, in Romans, right? That's an example of it in Judges. He gives them over to their passions, and then when they cry out in distress because their passions are literally killing them, uh, then God sends them somebody Right to bring them out. And I, it's kind of amazing how many people will, will, will be in the midst of sinful behavior that is destructive and will lead them to eternal damnation. And then when someone comes along and tells them that, they usually tell them to go pound sand, right? Just get out of here with that self-righteousness. I can do my own thing, right? So in that sense... Who are you to judge me? Who, Yeah you can't judge me, you know, that sort of thing, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The The whole thing of, like, people saying, uh, you can't judge me because only God can judge me. And mine's like, that should that's exactly back. what's going to happen, you yeah. Know? yeah. So the Lord send, sent judges to lead Israel to repentance. And they repeatedly violated his covenant and his Kindness, right? They literally despised the riches of his kindness by not listening to the people that he sent to deliver them out of their bondage to sin. Yeah. So they were taking it for granted that they were God's chosen people. Absolutely. That's the story of Israel in a nutshell. We're special. Yeah, we're God's chosen people. Um, what is it? I forget off the top of my head, which uh, prophet, I think it might be Jeremiah, um, where he rails against these false prophets saying, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, in, in, in that this is the temple and it will never fall because God will always be with us and, and we'll always be prosperous because we are God's people no matter what we do kind of thing. And The prophets usually say, that is not the case at all. Woe to you and repent, right? Um, you who would presume God's kindness and take advantage of it, right? Any thoughts on that? That's what John the Baptist was pointing out, right? When the, you know, He goes, <laughs> repent and don't use the excuse, oh, we have Abraham as our father. Yeah, 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 that's right. Yeah, oh, I love John the Baptist. He's so great. Um, the greatest man ever born among women. right? That's what our Lord says. Um, don't know if he'd last very long in the Missouri Senate as a pastor, but um, <laughs> he's kind of harsh. <laughs> but that kind of tells you something right there. All right, so, uh, or in really any church body, if you think about it, nowadays. Um, any other thoughts on that? Well, uh, you know, contempt for the riches. I was thinking... God's riches is something that a lot of people think are owed to them. They're entitled to it.
3: Mm-hmm. Okay.
0: A yeah. lot, of, lot of entitlement mentality around mm-hmm. it anymore. Right, because uh, I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. Sure, God's, God, of course I'm going to go to heaven. I'm a good person. I do good things. Yeah, I do good things all the time. Mm-hmm. Okay,
1: that's I good. myself on the
0: bat. That's great.
1: No. You know, as far as judging fantastic. nations, I think God is judging our nation right now too.
0: You think so? Yeah. I would not disagree with you. Um, I would not disagree with you in the slightest. I, I, I wonder if God allowed uh, Roe v. Wade to be overturned so that that could be another test for us to see just how committed to life we really are. Right Now, now we can't hide behind the Supreme Court anymore and we can say we have to literally say uh, it's well, decision. Now, you have no excuse. now you have no excuse, and now if we don't help women who are in crisis pregnancy situations, do we really care in the first place? I mean, it's one of those things of, um, we really need to start putting our money where our mouth is, uh, because, um, not just on that issue, but on a lot of issues, because, um... It's one of those things also where I'm sure a lot of people who are public school teachers or something like that would say, well, I don't pray with my kids or something like that in school because then I'd lose my job. But now the Supreme Court has said, you can do that, right? But the sad thing is, is that why were we waiting the whole time for the Supreme Court to say anything? It shouldn't have mattered one iota for us to uh, have to say these things, right? Right. then that's not necessarily full condemnation, but I think it is a wake-up call for us to say, Hey, you know what? Momentum is on our side. Let's go and do the good things for those people, right? Let's go and make it happen. Driving yeah. home Sunday after church, there was protesters at the uh, courthouse. For How what
3: there? 8. Are you serious?
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Did yeah. you hear about the they caught the arsonists trying to burn the church down?
0: Where? What church?
1: It was, it's set on the 300 block of San Antonio Street, so that's got to be St. Peter and Paul Catholic Church.
0: Where? Here?
1: Yeah, here. Oh, wow. Just past, get the newspaper. It's in the police report thing. <sighs> he was like a 43 year old man here from church, oh. and they caught, went in, I don't know how, Forty-three? but they went in oh. and caught him and was trying to set fire to the church. Arson. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like,
0: to the, to the the Roman Catholic Church?
1: Well, it said the 300 block of San Antonio, and oh, that's yeah. where St. Peter Paul is. So, yeah, so, so you know. yeah,
0: derive that for yourself. Yeah. That's amazing. I, wow. I, was, I
1: saw that today, and I was like, and he was from Fredericksburg. And I was just oh. like, oh, yeah, he was from Fredericksburg. Oh, wow. They gave his name. He was like 43 or something from Freder- uh, Fredericksburg. And I was just like, I didn't see the protesters though. I didn't. Yeah, see
4: there them. was a few of them. I was
0: driving, so I couldn't read the signs. But yeah, they few of them had so There weren't too many of them. Maybe twenty of them or something like that. <sighs> else. That's still a decent size for this town. Yeah. Ugh. Lord good. have mercy. Lord have mercy. Well, those folks are. Uh, showing contempt for the riches of God's kindness for yes. sure. I pray for their repentance that they would not do those things right but
1: you know what I think there were probably more people in town here in church giving thanks, thanks. for it.
0: I but hope if so uh, well, on, uh, we'll, 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 the numbers but I don't know about that we'll <laughs> <laughs> I know that hopefully in our church there were plenty of people for sure. Um, I would I will give there. I will give credit to Thank to God. a lot of churches in this town that they would mm-hmm. for sure absolutely yeah. absolutely. Um, all right, let's go on to that next question, just so we can stay on track here. Uh, so speaking of showing contempt for the riches of, kind, of God's kindness, personally, can you recall a time uh, when another person took you for granted? And how did that affect your relationship with that person? You don't have to give specifics on what, what, what happened, but how did that affect your relationship? Yeah, go ahead. It
1: yeah, lowered my respect and trust in that person.
0: Yeah. Like completely. Completely? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Completely, oh yeah. 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 I mean when you do something out of kindness for somebody and they just turn on you? Turn on you or disregard it. Not even just disregard it, but just take advantage. Mm-hmm. Keep, keep taking, taking, taking of your kindness and the point where you just you're drained, right? Mm-hmm. It, it causes you pain and maybe anger for sure. And it's not a fun place to be, right? Um, so the next question, how might taking God's love for granted affect your relationship with Him? No longer thankful. Okay, yeah. Any, anything else?
3: I wrote down motivation that you... Could get the idea, well, I, I, I'll get him to do this for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. I, yeah. But
1: it makes me realize that I'm a sinner. I need to constantly ask for God's forgiveness.
3: Yeah. I guess I was thinking more like um, mm-hmm. uh, prosperity. Oh, okay. Me. If I do this, God will. Oh, if this, then that kind of thing. And that will prove
0: to you that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's- yeah. Well and, and and I wonder um, it's not we're not immune from that sort of thing though. I mean we presume God's kindness all the time, but that's why we should desire to go to, you know, confession and absolution and and be absolved of our sins because we probably do it without even realizing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we should examine ourselves often to see just how just how we've fallen short. So that we might repent and do better, right? Uh, and actually walk in the ways that God would want, would want us to walk. Um, because you could take that question
2: all the way back to the fall.
1: Absolutely. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. And Absolutely. It, and the fall has affected
0: your relationship. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: 100%.
0: Yeah, and, and although it's funny because this... Terminology of relationship comes in after we have gone through our study on uh, "Has American Christianity Failed from Pastor Wolfmuller. And he kind of, he warns us against this relationship talk with God because uh, it's not something that, a a relationship between people can change, uh, but when it comes to what God has done for us and how our lives are now changed because of what Christ has done. It's beyond the realm of relationship at that point in time because relationships rely a lot on people working together and I'll do this because you've helped me with that. It becomes kind of a give and take situation. And I like the way that he talks about it where when you talk to a married couple about how's your relationship, That's a different question than how's your one flesh union? You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Your one flesh union is something that never changes, right? But the relationship can change. And what God has done for us through Jesus Christ has never changed and will never change. And so it's not so much about our relationship with Him as it is about how He fulfills His promises, right? So I thought that was kind of an interesting kind of butting heads a little bit with what Pastor Wolfmuller posited in his book. Um, I was listening to a couple other Missouri Synod Lutheran pastors talk about that very thing the Mm -hmm. other day. Yeah, yeah. Relationship is not the best way to talk about our relationship (laughs) Relationship with God, right? Mm -hmm. Our union with God through Christ. They hold that word intention. It's always intention. That's right. It's always intention because there's always push and pull in a relationship. But in a one flesh union or as God does describe his his union with his people is in marriage terms, right? Uh, He always likens uh, the nation of Israel to an unfaithful wife. Why I mean that they hoard after other gods, and Hosea is a big example of that too, as a prophet with his wife uh, Gomer. Right? Oh, what a name. Sorry. Uh, anyways, uh, I just I just think of Gomer Pyle. But anyways, um, so uh, yeah, so it would affect your relationship with him if you want to think of it in that way. But thanks be to God that his union with us by faith never changes. Right? It would definitely result in God, because of his love and affinity for us, calling us to repent, right? So that we could be restored in his grace. Uh, and that's what's really important, right? Um, so, but Israel did this all the time, right? They frequently took God's love for granted, and with the result that many suffered God's wrath. Uh, I mean, they didn't go into exile for nothing, right? Right? So, yeah, something to think about there. Uh, how about the next question? When St. Paul says, you, that is the Jewish believers, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? What's the answer to that question according to Psalm 1, verse 2? Y'all know that off the top of your head? I read
1: it, but I don't remember it off the
0: top of your head. <laughs> I Psalm 1 is like, is one of my favorite psalms. Um Where he's talking about uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But then verse 2, but his delight is in the law, the instruction of the Lord. And on his law, his instruction, he meditates day and night. Uh, So what's the answer? You who teach others, do you not teach yourself? Answer, should. Yeah.
1: We should practice what we preach. <laughs> yeah.
0: But ultimately... And study yeah. God's word. Yeah. Study God... What does it mean to... I, I know I'm digressing a little bit here, but this thing, I think it's kind of important. What does it mean in modern parlance to mm-hmm. meditate? Oh. <laughs> clear to your mind um, yeah to empty all of yourself yeah it was like uh that well, It's like a uh, lot of like popular apps out alpha there alpha brain state or whatever <laughs> right
2: well that the yeah. humanity is the is the obstacle
0: yeah right yeah. it's this buddhist mindset of saying yeah. that all we need to do is uh, realize that um uh, a a secession of passions or whatever—it's like basically emptying yourself of all your desires. Um, but that's not what the psalmist means in Psalm one. What does he mean when he says he meditates on God's instruction or God's law day and night? What does it mean to meditate in that sense? It's repetition. Yeah. And Reads it over and like chew it like focuses on it. Yeah, chew it like what? Cut. Like like let like like cut. Very that's very right. Think yeah. about it. Uh, yeah, I savor. There's that's right. There's there's the uh, um, what is it the uh, uh, the collect of, the collect for the word that we may read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest. Right, the word. Uh, I don't like that they updated it and said take it to heart. Come on, that's it's such rich language to say inwardly digest it, and that means not just reading it silently you speak it, oh, then that's how you would meditate on God's word. And that's how I would encourage everyone. I mean, uh, in our congregation at prayer, it says, speak out loud yeah. all like these things. Over, 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 over. Yeah, well, a mantra's an uh, Eastern thing, too, Where but know you know what, what I'm, I'm saying, all right? I mean. um, like whenever whenever I'm going through a proverb, I'll, I'll, I'll just say it over and over and over again, that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding, Right? Over and over and over again, so that if it's not just memorized, it's learned by your heart, and that's what I really like to think of when I memorize
3: things. You learn to take it to heart. I used used Psalm fifty-one. Create, and when I was discouraged and needed to meditate on God, God in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away. Know oh, a right spirit within That's me, right. restore the joy of thy salvation. I mean, there were times when I was really um, physically exhausted, caring for my husband and everything, and I'd get so discouraged that I'd just sit down and repeat that. And for a while, I wondered, is that like the Catholics doing the rosary, doing it over and over and over. But if I do created me a clean heart, created me a clean heart repeatedly. No, because I, so. yeah. I was focusing on... On the word. The word, yes. yes. And not on what I was doing or which bead I was tur- turning in my I hand or whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right, sometimes
0: I'll, I'll, I'll use... Uh, uh, sometimes I'll use a bead, but not to uh, say, oh, I'm, I'm on this part now or whatever, I just like, uh, I actually, I wear these, because they have a crucifix on it, but there's a hundred beads, and I use this to memorize proverbs. There's a hundred beads, and I try and go through the whole strand when I when I memorize a proverb, so I can at least say I said it 100 times out loud. And I at least know where I'm at. <laughs> it's one of those things because, like, I'll just keep saying it and keep saying it. And, and I will think about it differently when I get to about 25 or 50. And I'll be thinking, well, that's a different way to think about that. And I'll just keep saying it and keep saying it. And then by the time I'm thinking about it and still saying it, I go, how far am I? 75. Wow. Okay, great. But So I can lose myself. And it's a tool. That's really all it should be. It's a tool to kind of keep track of stuff because... I mean, why not get lost in contemplation of God's word? It's a great thing, mm-hmm. anyways. Remember, uh, it kind of reminds well, me that Catholics have that ring thing with the beads on them, where they yeah. hail Mary and make sure they don't miss one. And you know, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the point for the rosary is that you have a law that you need to say your rosary so many times a day, and you make sure that you don't miss it. Right? Uh, that's not the case with this. If it was because <laughs> uh, I don't do it every day like I should. Truth be told, God have mercy on me.
3: Um, so
4: my hesitation with m- meditating on a certain verse... Sure. You even mentioned, like, when you think about it long enough, you start thinking about it different ways. Sure. I'm always worried that I'm going to misinterpret it somehow. Oh.
0: Fair enough. Okay. That's possible, right? It's possible, but if that's the case, then do as... Uh, St. John says in Test the Spirits right Uh, that whatever if you start to if, if you think for some reason you're misinterpreting it that could be a prompting of the Holy Spirit for you to go into God's word to find out whether you are or not but it shouldn't necessarily be a reason to not make an attempt, uh, which is, I'm not saying that you are. I, I'm saying that I've used that excuse, or I've used an excuse, and I know other people must be making some excuses, because we're just humans. We're sinners, right? We make excuses for not engaging in things, which some, for some reason makes me think that it really is God's Word, because my flesh really doesn't want to read it sometimes, you know? Uh, it's not to think about, but when we look at when Saint Paul says, "You, the Jewish believers, who teach others, do you not teach yourself?" The rabbis, the teachers, right, pastors, like the psalmists, delighted in and would chew on the word of God. Yet, doing that is not necessarily what saves you, right? Uh, that is not what saves you. Um, learning these things, knowledge in and of itself is not what saves uh because even the demons believe and they shudder right but it is the, the the knowledge of salvation and the trust in the promises of god that saves because doing those things meditating on the word of god it is a good right and salutary thing to do but it does not meet the law's requirements right okay uh, Nonetheless, good practice. <laughs> Nonetheless, good practice, because that good practice would show you that that's the case. Right? Um, Romans 2: seven through9 as well as 2:13, may appear to teach righteousness through works. One should see, however, that obedience to the truth is faith-born and nurtured by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul sets up a very important point for all his readers, especially Jewish Christians, when he states, For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law will be declared righteous. Many Jews of the first century considered themselves part of the righteous people of God simply because they possessed and heard God's law. Paul points out that in spite of the value of having and hearing the law, the only people God declares righteous according to the law are those who keep the law, Perfectly, right? So can you or anyone keep the law perfectly? No. No. What? Isn't it easy? I mean it's super easy. I do it all the time. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have a sinful nature. nature. Right. <laughs> no, you cannot. Why not? Why can't you do it? Born into sin. Yeah, uh, we're dead in our sins and trespasses apart from God. We cannot do anything good, right? Uh, so this statement that only the doers of the law will be made righteous, that is a, a, a theoretical statement for all of us. The only one that it's not theoretical for is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. He is the only one who fulfills the law for us. Yeah, it's
2: right? not really like a test. It's like... A test question that you can do it. You know, <laughs> oh, well, those who do this can do it. That's right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Fulfill these okay. requirements and we'll see you up there, big guy. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, I don't think so. Jump jump through those hoops. Even that one that's a 1,000 feet up. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, it's not possible. Right? No. It's not possible uh, for us to do it perfectly. Uh, so, um, yeah, the statement's only a theory for us. It's never realized fully by any fallen human being because, as St. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 20 of Romans here, that no flesh will be justified in his sight by the deeds of the law. Right? No, no human being, that's how it's translated in a lot of Bibles, but literally the, the Greek is, is, is sarx, it's flesh. No flesh will be justified in his sight by the deeds of the law. Yeah, because the law doesn't save you, it only accuses you. Always accuses. It doesn't only accuse, but it always accuses. Yeah, lex semper It means the law always, but not only. And that's where a lot of misunderstandings come in. It's not the only thing the law does. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit later. So I
4: have a related question on 2 verses 12.
0: Mm -hmm.
4: All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. Can you like flesh that out for me? Because I don't quite understand
0: it. All who sin
4: apart from the law will perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. I get that part. What verse is that again? 12, 212. I'm assuming he's talking about the Gentiles, but I don't quite I
0: don't quite follow. Oh, um, yeah.
2: And making reference to being apart from the law as being those who are Gentiles and those who are under the law are as the Jews. are the Jews right. here's
1: what it says in but my head thing. Apart from my it says all yes. who sin apart from the law refers to Gentiles yeah because they don't have the revealed law, the yeah, law. They God judges re- according to the light available to people Gentiles will not be condemned for not obeying a law they did not possess their judgment will be on other grounds
0: yeah, and mine in my study Bible here. Just a quick answer. Without the law, yeah, Gentiles did not have the revealed law, the Torah. Perish, judged um, synonyms that sin merits death under the law. Having received the Torah, the Israelites were bound to keep it, but failed to do so. So yeah, it basically saying whether Gentile, whether, whether Gentile or Jew, whether having the revealed law or or not. Uh, you sin even if you basically it's ignorance of the law is no excuse because for all for all who have sinned without the law or apart from the law will also perish without the law and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law so no no matter what you have no excuse either way um, I think elsewhere it is... Um, also, you know, that the law is written on our hearts as well. Yeah. yeah. Verse ready? verse verse 15 they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when according to my gospel God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. So either way, no one has an excuse. You you can't just simply say, "Oh, we didn't have the law, so you're going to go easy on us, right?" It's like, "No, no, no. Well, even if you know, if you never read the law,
1: you still have a conscience.
0: Right. You know that murder is wrong. Uh, you know that theft is wrong. Right? Even thieves don't like to be stolen from. Right? Uh, murderers don't necessarily want to die themselves. Right? So it's one of those things. There, I think it's just another way of saying you have no excuse. And he's also talking to the Jews here where he's saying... I think he expands on that too. Yeah. During that. Oh, yeah. this This... This whole thing is is, um, talking primarily, uh, he's he's including the Gentiles, but he's also talking a lot to the Jews because um, when we see this next part, um, 17 through 21, right, Uh, he's directing his focus on Jewish Christians. We'll just move on to that next part there. Paul directs his focus on Jewish Christians who take comfort in possessing and hearing the law as the cornerstone of their righteous status before God. Paul uses the term uh, Paul uses the term namos that is the law in several different ways, but most often as the Mosaic law that makes the uh, that makes the ethical demands. He accuses the Jews of transgressing the same commandments as the pagan Gentiles. Um, He climaxes his argument by quoting the Old Testament as the authority for his teaching. So I think when, to go back to your question, I think it's really him just kind of highlighting all the different ways that you really don't have any excuse. Does that make sense?
4: I think if he just said, all who sin apart from the law, you're still going to die. Sure. Uh-huh.
0: Then it would make
4: more sense. Okay, well, it's just overdoing it's all being it. Fancy
0: yeah. Here. He's yes. yeah, he's well. Paul's known as a master of rhetoric, so he's covering all his bases, I guess you could say. Uh, because we'll get into all the different things that people, I guess, tried to. Is it more like courtroom language? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that he. We'll, we'll get into these questions about how. Uh, When he comes up with these things of when he says I speak in a human way, he's exhausting all of the arguments as to why we should be let off the hook, I guess you could say. So let's let's go to that next question. Uh, You, that is the Jewish believers who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Um, what's the answer to these questions? We do every day. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. Uh, yeah. Paul reminds the Jewish believers of Israel's failure to fulfill the law to which their own scripture testifies. Right? I wrote it, God's name is blasphemed by hypocrisy. Absolutely. Yeah. Because what does he say there in verse 24, right? Uh... For as it is written, yeah, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And that's quoting, I think, Isaiah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, that you say you do all these things, but it's, it's hypocritical. Right? Mm-hmm. And the, the root understanding for a hypocrite was an actor, someone who wears a mask, oh. um, which is kind of interesting. Is, is is a kind of actor that gets on stage wearing a mask, playing a role. If that's where the root of that comes from? Uh-huh. Oh, cool. Yeah. Taste. Uh, I believe, it's like a hippo... Something like... Oh, what is it? Because in the Greek, there's there's like... Um, yeah, yeah, that's right. Hippo is above. Hyper is underneath. Like if you hear about a hypodermic needle, it's one that goes underneath the skin. Whereas uh, um, something with a... Hyperbole. Yeah. Right? It's like above, like you're throwing above. That's what that means. Um, And so uh, hyperbole, yeah, to to cast above something. um, That's like hyperbolic speech. So when he's saying uh, hypocrites, it's like subversive action kind of thing, subversive judgment or something like that. So uh, it's not judgment. It's subversive action or something. I need to look into it more. I like etymology, so I'll check that out. But taste was something where it was an actor who wore a mask and played a role, right? A hypocrite. So, um, along with pride in the law, we're at the top of page 23 there. Along with pride in the law, Jewish people also took pride in circumcision as an indicator of their righteous status before God. Paul debunks such an understanding in chapter 2, verses 25 through 29. He emphasizes that circumcision in and of itself does a Jew no good if he does not keep the law perfectly, or have faith in the promise. God gave circumcision to the Israelites as a witness that the Messiah would be born among them. But some Jewish groups of the first century gave circumcision a new meaning. Paul emphasizes the circumcision of the heart as more important than the outward sign. Okay. Uh, So then Paul asks, If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, Will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? What's the answer? Yes. No, yeah. yes. The answer is yes. Mm-hmm. It's asked in such a way that requires answer of yes, mm-hmm. right? It's that's the rhetorical question, right, in play there. Because Abraham received
2: the promise and believed it before. Circumcision,
0: like he, yeah, actually right. had to go through circumcision like Layton's afterwards, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah, so and so, yes, they should be regarded as you know, circumcised in heart by the Spirit, and we see that in Galatians 5, verses 2 through 6, where St. Paul writes. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And what he means by that is circumcision for the sake of keeping the covenant that has already been fulfilled in Christ. He's not necessarily saying, you know, because if, if all circumcision, just the act of it, was a bad thing, then, I mean, Jesus was circumcised. We know that. He was presented at the temple and circumcised on the eighth day. So it's one of those things of, Circumcision had a purpose, and now it just doesn't mean anything anymore as far as a faith sort of issue. Um, it It's not—it was a mark of the covenant that that would proclaim the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah has come, right? And it's just like everything else, keeping kosher law because you think that that's what is desirable, or um, keeping Passover or or any other sort of— Ceremonial aspects of the law because what the ceremonial law meant was meant to do was to proclaim the coming of the Messiah. That these are the people, the people who adhere to this ceremonial law are the ones from which the Savior will come. And when you keep, I've heard it put this way, and I love it. This, I love this explanation. Uh, I got it from Pastor Hans Feeney from Lutheran Satire. He says, To adhere to the covenant to the ceremonial law of the Old Testament is like putting up posters for a concert that happened six months ago. It's too late. (laughs) The the event has come and gone. There's no point in putting the posters up anymore, right? Are there parallels there with circumcision and baptism? Yes, of course. Uh, How might you see that? (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm thinking of it.
2: I'm thinking of it as like when we baptize babies, mm-hmm. you would circumcise them on the eighth day, right? Because you have faith in the promise, and that is God working and uh, making that person righteous. I guess, yeah, right.
0: We we would also say we would also say that circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Baptism is a, what we would call, a sign. Uh, we try and, I think we try and stay away from the word symbol, but it's a sign in the simple fact that what does a sign do? It points you towards something, right? Mm-hmm. So the baptism and Holy Communion and absolution are signs of God's grace. They point us to God's grace and what He has done. It's not something you do to... Right. Okay. Yeah, it's not, it's not just symbolic. It's not, it's, it's, it's not a. It, God's grace is tied in with that action. It's similar to circumcision on some level, but. But it still comes from faith first. Yeah, faith is the determining factor, first and foremost. Yeah. Um, so, with that, though, that brings us actually to that next question. The physical act of circumcision involves painful cutting. We will not go into the details there. Um, Read Deuteronomy 30, verses 1 through 6. 30. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30, um, verses 1 through 6. I think for the sake of this, it's important to see... Oops, that went way too far. Where am I going? biggest number Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Um, where? Deuteronomy 31 through 6. 30 verses 1 through 6.
1: Yeah, all these blessings and curses have not been set before you come upon you, and you take them to heart. where the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children are turned to the Lord your God, and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you to do. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all of the nations where he scattered you. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, from there the Lord your God will gather you and bring you back. He will bring you to the land that belongs to your fathers and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and
0: with all your soul and live. Yeah, so see, he's saying that if you do these things, you will live. But you can't do these things unless God circumcises your heart, right? So, uh, and then there's Romans 2, 29, where he does say... Uh, but a Jew is one. Uh, but a Jew is one um, inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Right. So with that, uh, reflect on Paul's use of circumcision of the heart. How has your heart been circumcised? it's like accepting the Holy Spirit okay so how how would you combine circumcision a very painful act it's been changed yeah uh a
4: a part of the flesh which is the old Adam has been removed
0: interesting okay uh huh yeah no but like very interesting a Mm -hmm. part of the flesh yeah it's Mm -hmm. true um is that a fun thing, to have a piece of your flesh removed? Do you just go, I think I want to keep doing that? Uh, no, it's painful, right? Uh, it, it, the the physical act of circumcision is a painful thing, like when you see in the Old Testament with, uh, what is it? Um, when uh, when a, I forget the, the name, but um, when... Uh, the 12 brothers, you know, uh, you know Simeon and and when Dinah. Simeon, yeah, when Dinah is violated, uh, and then uh, Simeon and Levi go to him and say, we will give you as, as her, your wife, like, we will give her as your wife, but she cannot marry someone who's not circumcised. And so the man... Repentantly wants to do this and marry her and he does what they ask and then while they're recovering from their circumcisions they slay them right I mean it's a painful thing it's not something you just recover from easily um, and it's one of those things though that when we are circumcised of the heart it's painful how does the spirit so so i trying to think here The law is like a knife, right? It cuts to the heart of the matter, right? The Spirit uses the law like a knife to sever you from the sin that you've committed. Kind of painfully reveal how you should be, not... Exactly. It, it is a painful... The Spirit uses the law to drive our hearts to repentance. Um, it, it carves out that sinful part to show you... This is what you were holding on to. And while you're sitting there, you're going, "Ow, yeah, that hurts. That hurts to be told that I'm doing something wrong. It hurts to be told that I was holding on to a a false god. It hurts to be told that I was committing some grave sin, right? It does not feel good um, because one's self-righteousness gets cut away by the sharpening of the law, right? Right? so that's, that's, that's probably one way to look at it. Any thoughts and qu- questions about that? No? I mean, it's like what the writer of Hebrews says, that the word of the Lord is a, is is a sharper than a two-edged sword cutting to the bone and the marrow of the believer, right? So um, dividing, dividing these things, that the word of the law divide divides things into truth and lies, right? Truth and falsity, righteousness and sin. The word of the Lord cuts through it all, right? Um, So yeah, and and sometimes it's a painful thing. Uh, It's not fun to go through a confessional mirror like within the back of this treasury of daily prayer where you ask yourself these questions according to the Ten Commandments, right? Where you say uh, things like, uh, <laughs> say things like, you know, the first commandment, you shall all know other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I do it all the time. <laughs> what or whom do I fear most? It's not God most of the time. And what or whom do I trust most for financial security, physical safety, or emotional support? Hmm. Do I fear God's wrath and therefore avoid every sin? Mmm, no. Is my love for God evident in my daily life? Mm, not all the time. <laughs> I, uh, you know, is there a percentage here we can go with? Uh, you know, do I expect only good from God in every situation, or do I worry, doubt, complain, or feel unfairly treated when, I, when things go wrong? Well, I'll leave that for your own contemplation, and it's not fun to hear those questions, right? Because then you're really confronted with the truth of the
3: matter.
1: You don't want to read those
0: before you go to bed. <laughs> you want to read those before you come to church on Sunday. That's what you want to do, honestly. So that you can really, uh, so that when you get to that part where it says, you know, s- silence for contemplation on God's word and things like that, that's that's a good time for that.
3: Um, I'm reminded that uh, 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 Mark Luther once said, if you can't sleep, start with the... Ten Commandments. Just recite them to yourself, and and, and for me, when I start try that, I can't get past the first commandment. Who is the God in my life? I've been making my own yeah. right. decisions. I'm it. That's up to me to do it. I get those thoughts, and I think. Well, that's not giving him. He's the, one, he's yeah. the only. one. Now I really one. can't sleep.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's it. Well, and that's 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 when it's good to pray the, the evening prayer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Uh, uh, thank you, you my heavenly Father, Father through you. Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have graciously kept me this. That you have graciously kept me this day, uh, and for, and and I pray that you would forgive and pray that you oh, would forgive sin. me all my sins where I have done wrong and graciously keep me this night. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul, and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. I pray that with Charlotte every night. Um, that's a good thing to pray. Because yeah. that remembers what
3: he promises and that you trust yeah. in him. Uh, Pastor McCall used that a lot. And, and his sister, too, in uh, uh, choir rehearsal, we nice. re- re- recited together. And that has become very precious to me and I use that (sighs) every night. It's a great prayer. Um, It is. It's one of those things sorry
0: I keep going on these things but um, it's one of those things Amelia has told me and she wouldn't mind me saying this that she struggled with you know spiritual oppression type stuff like demonic oppression and she didn't really know what to do with it and then when she talked to her mom about it she said just pray that that you know, uh, pray that God would cast away that that evil spirit, that demonic demonic spirit that's oppressing you by the power and by the name of Jesus Christ. And then when I and and then when when we got married, I said we should we should pray before we go to sleep. And and, and then we prayed the evening prayer, and she said, I didn't even she's she's like I knew about it, but I never actually prayed it. But now that we pray it every night, she's like, that makes all the difference of the world, and I actually sleep more soundly because God's holy angel is with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. And I was like, that's beautiful.
3: It makes a big difference. And Dave and I had that every night. Mm-hmm. Such a blessing. It's a blessing. Yeah, it's a blessing.
0: Um, man, we're going way over time. Sorry about that. We're getting to the last bit here, I promise. In the opening, so accountable to God, in the opening verses of chapter 3, Paul defends the value of being a Jew, defends God from the criticism of being unjust, and defends himself from the criticism of encouraging evil in order that good may come, So chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. His discussion of the unrighteousness of all humanity climaxes in chapter 3, verses 9 through 18, which weaves Old Testament quotations into one seamless, vivid, and powerful testimony, to universal unrighteousness. Remember, Paul is a Jew who now draws on the Old Testament as the ultimate authority that affirms this key biblical truth of chapter 3, verse 9. Jews and Greeks all are under, subject to, sin. Notice the inclusive statements in chapter 3, verses 10 through 18, such as, "...no righteous one, not even one." No one who understands, no one who seeks God, all turned away, no one does good, not so much as one. Scripture has spoken, no one is righteous. So that next question from St. Paul, what advantage is there in being a Jew, or what value is there in circumcision? Is there any value in these things? What does he say there uh, in chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 9, verses 4 through 5?
1: But they've been entrusted with the word of God.
0: Yeah. That there is benefit, but because God has given them the word, he has given them the prophets, they come from the line of faithful men, right? faithful people, faithful families, uh, that there was great value in being Jewish. They had the word of God, numerous valuable resources from the Lord. They weren't so special in and of themselves, but it was only what God gave them that made them special. Um, So that next question, what if some Jewish people did not have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? What's the question? I mean, what's the answer? Sorry. Not his faithfulness, just his wrath. (laughs) Yeah. uh, So here Paul shows his frequent and terse response to questions. Meganoito, uh, that's, that's that's the Greek. It literally means uh, may it not be, or absolutely not, right? Uh, it's This is for all the grammar nerds. Uh, it's in the optative mood, which expresses the possibility of action taking place in the future, but makes it very emphatic that this is not what Paul affirms. Translated literally, may it not be, you know, in some sense to kind of shift it around. This is an exact translation, not an exact translation, but like God forbid, right? May it not be, absolutely not. God faithfully and persistently calls Jews to repentance, right? Um, But, and this is where Paul can maybe seem a little pedantic, or not pedantic, redundant. He's trying to exhaust all the excuses that someone might lob for this, so basically, and, and and it's silly because it's saying, what if some people don't, don't have faith? Will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? <laughs> a, it's just kind of a silly question, isn't it? But how about that next question? I mean, unless unless y'all want to talk about that, y'all want to, y'all have anything to say about that further? If you don't have faith, will their lack of faith nullify God's faithfulness? Yeah. What else can you say? <laughs> No, duh, right? Uh, How about that next question? If our unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness more clearly, what shall we say? That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? If that were so, how could God judge the world? Uh, What's the answer?
4: (laughs) God will judge the world.
0: Yeah, he will. Uh, But that's kind of, what kind of logic is that? It's not. It's illogical. It's like it, the, it's more, not. the
2: more we sin, the more God's plan is revealed, so sin more. So yeah, God sin more.
0: Done. As some people like to say, sin, sin boldly. That's not what like, Luther meant. Do you know? a little evil in order to achieve uh, some bigger exactly right. goal, right. Yeah. that's for greater good. That's exactly right. It's, it's, is it's, that what it's trying to make there? Yeah, it's, it's basically saying our unrighteousness makes God look even better, so let's be more unrighteous. No, well, what, are you kidding me?
4: It had to have been a common idea, because he did this in chapter 6. Yeah, yeah. So, like, we laugh about it, but...
0: Well, we laugh about it, but really, no, we should take it seriously, you're right, because, because well, we should laugh at the ridiculousness of it, yeah. but also understand that it's probably something people have thought about. I mean, absolutely, because why else would Paul bring it up? He had to face this at some point in time.
4: Twice in the same letter, <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Yeah, should we sin all the more so that grace may abound? Yeah. Absolutely not, may
2: it not be right. Are they also making a point here that well, because I have original sin and I'm going to sin anyway, how can God judge me? Yeah, how can yeah,
0: God be yeah. That yeah. Unfair? basically, the, the ancient way of saying God made me this way. Oh, yeah, no. how can He judge me for making me this way?
3: It's not my fault, yeah.
0: No. I'm the victim, don't you understand? Yeah, sure. Um, No, yeah, Paul asks a hypothetical question that he actually dismisses with the next question, right? Uh, uh, (laughs) That God is unjust in bringing his wrath on us? Um, No, that's not the way it is. You who would presume to know the mind of God, right? You who would presume to be more righteous or just than God is in your judgment... I hear it a lot with, like, uh, I used to watch the Ancient Aliens oh.
2: show. Oh, no. Yeah. Ancient Aliens. And they, and aliens. they man, they're, ooh, they're, some, they're cherry pickers, man, for real.
0: Absolutely. But they yeah. always make
2: go back to this thing, like, my God would never yeah. ask, his, uh, ask somebody to kill his son. You know, yeah. going back to
0: Abraham. Right. My God, I've never do those things. That's like, uh, and I brought this up before, that that's like, there's 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 a podcast or internet radio show called Fighting for the Faith with uh, Pastor Chris Rosebro. I don't listen to it so much because you get a little old. It, 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 he, he deals with modern day heretics and, and things like that and picking apart their theology and how it's bad. But he had... In the breaks in his show, he would have these little fake commercials, and one of them was for like it was, it was like Build a Bear Workshop, but it was Build a God. Um, and uh, somebody goes into the shop, it's like, uh, those, and and the, the person at the store said, Welcome to Build a God, what can I do for you today? And it's like, I'd like to build my own God. It's like, perfect, we have so many different ways you can do that. And it's like, what kind of God do you want? I want a God who's loving and tolerant and who will never make me feel bad for things that I do. Perfect. That's actually a very popular option, you know, and and they just go through the list and then they get to the end and she goes, great, your God is coming along just splendidly. Now, final question. What do you want to name your God? Hmm. I think I want to name him Jesus, right and that's the scary part, right? That's 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 where it stops kind of being funny. Uh, that's where it starts get a little bit scary. So that's what people do all the time. My God would never do that. My God is love. Yeah, is it you? Oh, know my God, God is God. just. Mm-hmm. What's that? As if you know the mind of God. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, oh, 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 oh! The depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable uh, are are His ways and inscrutable, right? So, yeah, we should not, it's, it's, it's one of these things that God judges us according to our deeds, and we should not make excuses for our sin, right? Uh, that's also basic, Yeah, basically saying, well, my, un, my unrighteousness brings out God's righteousness, therefore he's unjust in judging my unrighteousness, and how can he do that? It's just so silly. Uh, and honestly, I think we should mock that kind of stuff more often. Um, because it's just pretty ridiculous. It's, it's, it's bad logic. Mm-hmm. It's bad logic and that's what sin is. Yeah, it's not logical. Really falling from the absurd absurd yeah. things as being like, oh, no. true. Yeah, sin, think about it this way. Sin is not logical. Mm-hmm. It's, it's illogical to its core, right? That makes no sense what Paul just argued for the sake of argument. When you really, really think about it, it doesn't make any sense. Um, How about that next question? If my falsehood enhances God's truthfulness, why am I still condemned a sinner? Because of the fall. Yeah. Because I am. Yeah, because I am. I am. am. Yeah. Um, What does he say in chapter 9? Uh, there quotes chapter nine verses eighteen through twenty one, where he says uh, the you know the vessel saying you know the clay saying to the potter why did you make me this way kind of thing. Um, chapter nine verses eighteen through twenty one, where he says uh, yeah. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Um, basically, who are you to question God in this way? Um, and like like we said before, these are probably things people have said to Paul at one point in time, arguing with them for their own unrighteousness uh, to just stay in it. And he says, um, why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just, right? And he he says in that before, right, um, that God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us. I speak in a human way, right, in a fallen way, that that's how some people think. Um, so yeah, the questions here could reflect actual excuses people made, uh, but sins committed by the creature never honors the goodness of the creator.
3: It's not how that happens.
0: It's not how that works. And I, I would use the example, I, well, I didn't create my children, you know, people procreate. It's a different thing, but in a familial sense, if, if Charlotte or Henry, uh, were to, do something that was dishonorable. Would that make would that make me look very good as a father? No. It would make me look very bad. People right? would judge you. They would, yeah, and they'd be right to on some level, right? Um, sometimes children are so rebellious that there's nothing really much you can do about that at a certain point. But it's one of those things that that's actually a qualification for a pastor is that if he can't judge if if he can't manage his own household, how is he supposed to? manage the house of God, right? So it's one of those things of, like, if Charlotte was just doing something dishonorable and me saying, keep on doing it, honey, because that makes me look good. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense. Um, makes no sense, all right? Uh, so what shall we conclude then? Are we, the Jewish people, this is St. Paul saying this, right? Are we, Jewish people, any better? What's the answer to that one? No. Jews
1: in general are all under sin.
0: That's right. God judges all people equitably. We hear a lot about equity nowadays. Well, there's one thing for sure that's going to be equitable, and that's going to be judgment, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially apart from God's grace. It's not a great thing. Um, Well, I mean, it is a great thing in the sense that God is the one doing it, but it's it's going to be one that's... uh, I don't know, on some level, very, very sad. I was going to say it's going to be sad because there's going to be so many that are going to fall short. Absolutely. So, uh, question. (laughs) Can you imagine a new pastor preaching this message as his initial sermon to your congregation? Sure. Wouldn't that be nice? (laughs) I didn't do that on my first sermon. Uh, if I would have done that, I don't know how, how y'all would have liked me very much. Uh, this is what Paul is doing, though. Although, although many preachers shy away from such condemning law, Paul knows that if the Roman Christians do not fully comprehend their unrighteousness, they will never fully comprehend their complete need for Christ's righteousness and trust fully in him for what they do not have. Right? How can you understand the depths of God's grace and mercy. If you don't even begin to understand the depths of your own sin,
1: maybe we need more pastors and preachers like Paul right now. I'm working on it, Candia. Okay, I'm working on it. <laughs> no, I was talking about you. Know, <laughs> I am just talking. It. We need. I think that. you're right. All over the place doing this. I think you're right. That's I, probably why, because they're, oh, it's okay. No, we need more people. It's like Megan says. You know, I want to go and hear somebody say, "Yes, you are sinning." Yeah, not, "Oh,
0: baby, you feel bad." And go. and not like making up any sort of sin or whatever, yeah. but actually giving just just cause. And it does like, make the gospel like just that much sweeter. And yeah, I, that's that's why. Well, I think my I, I don't know. I think there's becoming a shift. It depends on who you talk to. There is a shift in pastors nowadays, uh, where they're seeing how bad things really are, and they're seeing that the response is not just to say more gospel. You see what I'm saying? Uh, You need the proper distinction between law and gospel. We as Lutherans understand that on paper, we should really understand that in practice too, that, uh, when you give someone the, when you give someone the gospel who is unrepentant in their sin, when you simply say something along the lines of, "Oh, you believe it's okay to kill your, ch- your child in the womb, well Jesus loves you. I mean, that doesn't even begin to address the issue. And second of all, uh, when you say to somebody who is sinning currently, in thought, word, or deed, and they are unrepentant for it, and they simply say, oh, Jesus forgives sin? Like Pastor Whedon says, uh, uh, um, he's so enthusiastic when he says it. He's he's just like, if you just give the gospel to someone who is open and unrepentant in their sin, they'll say, ooh, God loves to forgive sin. I love to sin. What a great deal. Yeah. Yeah. What a great deal! It's literally Paul saying, "Should we sin all the more so that grace may abound?" Absolutely not, right? So, yeah. So we should definitely be discerning in our use of law and gospel. That someone who is, let's say, out in the front of the courthouse, you know, and and none of us are uh, immune from even having this sort of. Uh, this sort of thought in our own families and friendships, right? That we have people who would disagree with us if it was like pro-life or, or maybe even like the death penalty or something like that. And, and you could say, well, I mean, or let's just say, um, what is it? If, if, if someone has has this idea, like I, I can't even imagine, This is maybe this is just me, I can't even imagine a mother who has children living like I, I saw a picture that's from one of these rallies. This lady, she got lambasted for it. Someone took a picture of her at one of these rallies for pro-abortion stuff. She has her two kids, and her husband has their youngest on his shoulders. And she has a, a cardboard sign written out that says, Don't force this on anyone. And I'm just thinking, What? <laughs> it's like, Absurd. It's one of these things of like, you know, them literally bending down to their children and saying, I had the right to kill you if I wanted to, and I want to protect that for other people, too. It's like, it's like there's a meme out there, you know, uh, Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean, it's one of those things where someone's saying to him, it's like, uh, women born today will have less rights than their mothers, and you see Jack Sparrow going, but they will be born. So,
3: uh,
0: <laughs> yes, but they will be born, and that's the important thing, right? So, yeah.
4: yeah. Uh, I just I saw something on Instagram, and it was about kind of this topic, and he said, for the pro-abortion people, it's like telling their children, "I only love you because you were." Oh, yeah. Because what? Well, you are convenient. You are convenient. And if you were not convenient, then I would not have loved
0: you. Right. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's just so sad. Oh, and when I say sad, I also mean pretty sick, too. Um, I mean, but that's the depth of some people's uh, depravity and also how far they're deceived. Because mm-hmm. really, they are deceived.
2: Like, well, wow, isn't it a blessing that you can even, like, say this because you're alive?
0: Yeah, no, right. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Thanks be to God that your mom didn't exercise the right that you're fighting for, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So there's one of those things. Um, where was I? Mm. <laughs> so uh, we're talking about many preachers shy away covenant. from such condemning law. Yeah. Okay. So, so Paul. Yeah. yeah. Paul. So Romans 3:20 summarizes Paul's position on the relationship between works of the law. And our righteous status before God. By the works of the law, no man will be declared righteous before him, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Paul addresses the basic problem with Judaism and the religious views of most people. An optimistic anthropology. It's the same thing we were talking about. People will hold up signs saying, Trust women. Hmm. You won't trust men, so I guess what does that say about what you put in your capital. Right, yeah, trust trust all women kind of thing. And it's one of those things, it's like, uh, trust but verify, right? Um, so in other words, most religions teach that human beings are basically good and can use that goodness to win favor with their gods. Jews did not deny grace or faith as vital to a person's righteous status, but they emphasized that works played a role in a person's righteous status. They denied that our righteousness is... An, is uh, they denied that our righteousness is uh, uh, they denied that our righteousness is is an an alien righteousness that is received by God's grace alone, through faith alone. That's how God takes away your sin and declares you righteous by grace through faith in Christ alone. So That's the end of this session, but and it may seem like we've covered a lot of stuff. and It may seem like you're feeling kind of weighed down, but it's one of those things that this is something that's really important to use with people who are not familiar with Christianity because most of the time if people turn on the TV and look at something that, you know, low-hanging fruit, Trinity Broadcasting Network, uh, Joel Osteen. It's all very positive thinking type stuff. And we need to be sure that we teach the the fullness of the sinful state of fallen mankind. Otherwise, you're not going to get the gospel. You're not going to understand why did Jesus die for me? Why did he have to die for me? And if you don't understand the depth of your sin, you won't understand the fullness of God's grace. It's really that simple. So, This isn't to beat you down and keep you there. It's to make you see just how great God's grace truly is, in spite of how bad you are. Um, Okay? Any final thoughts, questions, concerns? I know we went really long tonight, uh, but I think this is an important one to get through for sure. Any closing thoughts? I'm enjoying it. Oh, good. I'm really glad to hear that. Uh, Well, for the sake of time, we'll just go to words to remember. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become become conscious of sin. Romans 3, verse 20. Uh, Well, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven.